0: and amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful passage. It's powerful. We pray that you would change us by it, that you would increase our faith, that you would give faith, that we would hear you speaking your peace into our lives. We thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. There have been some provocative weather headlines uh, these past two weeks. Heavy snow plastering Midwest. Travel could be impossible. Treacherous ice, snow, and frigid temperatures. Storm that's blasting millions. Now, not to be outdone, here in Southern California, um, it reached 44 degrees this past week. (laughs) But seriously, even here, we've had some strange high dry winds in early February, again this year. Now, all of this freaky weather can remind us that even with technological advances, friends, we are still very vulnerable. Nature can slow us down. It can hurt us. It can damage our property. It can harm our businesses, and of course, it can even take our lives. And if not through wind and waves, then through fire and earthquakes or landslides as Austria is is presently experiencing or genetic mutations or coronaviruses or simply the body breaking down over time. We are vulnerable to nature and more broadly just simply to the finitude of this life. As we are going through Mark's Gospel, we are having a deepening encounter of the perp- person and the purpose of Jesus who is unlike any other. And as Gretchen mentioned before we sang that song, this story in Mark's Gospel is first and foremost a real event. It's not a metaphor of other things. It is first and foremost historical. But then it becomes very true and powerful for us as we go through our storms and our experiences. Whatever turbulence and wind and waves that you face, the Lord of the storm is with you. The Lord of nature, the Lord of creation is with you. Now, one of the striking features of this passage is that the word great in the Greek, it is mega, mega. In Latin, it's magna. The word great appears three times in this short little passage. So we're going to frame this passage around three great things that we find in the text. We find a great storm or mega storm, verse 37. We find great calm or mega calm, verse 39. And then we find great fear, again in verse 39. We'll end, give you a fourth point, with faith in the great Lord of the storm first the great storm. We're we're told that Jesus had been teaching. He'd been going over some parables and so forth, and it had been a long day of work. He was human, and he wanted to go to the other side of the lake. So he and his disciples get into a boat, and they trek out over the Sea of Galilee. Now, on this sea, cold air, dry air, from the mountains barrels down the 2000 foot cliffs and it clashes with the moist hot air that comes off of the water to vo- to form violent wind patterns and these moody conditions can flip on a dime if you've ever been out on Lake Mead or Lake Havasu or uh, some other desert lake you know what this is like where a monsoon can come out of nowhere and and really become like an ocean in terms of its conditions. In 2019, a storm on Lake Havasu sank several boats, including two 70-foot houseboats. Sixteen people had to be rescued. So these kinds of conditions are real. Again, this is a real tangible account. And so, Back to our story, one minute the disciples were on this welcoming sea, and the next they were in this cauldron of menacing turbulence. We're told some minor details, like in verse 36, that other boats are with them. Uh, We're also told a few more, that, that Jesus is asleep in the stern and he's on a cushion. Now, people have wondered, why are these little details there? Well, it seems that one of the reasons that Mark put these in there, frankly, is because they were real. Because, again, this event happened. You see, in ancient legends, and some people would say, well, this is legendary. How do we buy this? It sounds like Jesus is some sort of Marvel superhero. And legends were, you know, common in the ancient world. Yeah, but in legends in the ancient world, writers would not include incidental bits of information. The uh, Cambridge scholar and uh, educated at St. Andrews, the British scholar Richard bockham has written in Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. He's debated many atheists about this around the world. He says that one of the marks of a factual account is the inclusion of irrelevant detail. Again, just there were other boats out on the lake. Jesus was sleeping on a cushion. He goes on to say, Bachman does, that composed fictional stories contain details only that move the story or convey a message that the author wants to get across. In other words, the agenda of the story. But I witnessed it, I witnesses, and Mark got this from Peter, who was with Jesus on the boat, Eyewitnesses include bits of information simply because it happened. It's plain reporting, in other words. This event, friends, really happened. And as it did, these disciples were sitting ducks. Fear flooded their hearts as water flooded the boat. And though they're experienced sailors, they were terrified of losing their lives. And this is absolutely understandable. The Bible and so much of literature conveys the sea as something unpredictable and chaotic, something that is able uh, to claim its victims. The Bible talks about the sea as a watery grave. Psalm 69, 1 and 15, verses 1 and 15 say, Deliver me from the deep waters. Let not the floods sweep over me, or the deep swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. It is talking about the sea as a place of death, as a tomb. And so Jesus' disciples, though not rookie sailors, they are terrified and they're unable to do anything about it. And what is happening here? Their skill is running out. They have come to the end of their self-reliance, and that's where the Lord wants us all to be. That's where the Lord wants us all to be. And yet this is a difficult place to to go to and to learn about. You see, sometimes we're, we're gliding along, and, and all of you have known this, or you will someday. We're gliding along when problems swoop down on us like furious winds and violent waves seemingly out of nowhere, and we have this this feeling of impending doom in the face of which we feel helpless. And our resources, our, our skill, our self-reliance are running out. It could be that a friendship that you thought was really close and tight and good wasn't as strong as you once thought, and it's heartbreaking for you. Perhaps you have a child or a grandchild who has been walking away from Christ, and despite your best efforts, despite what you've said and the articles you send, you can't stop that. You can't stop them. And this is heartbreaking. There are other scenarios that you face that can cause you to feel like you are sinking into the depths, into that watery tomb, as it were. Well, back to our story. Amid the the furious and ferocious winds and turbulent waves, Jesus is napping. (laughs) He's asleep. What a contrast. You can almost picture there just being out on a raft in the gentle waters, perhaps in a pool, and you're taking a nap. And the disciples go and get him in the stern on the pillow, and they see, <laughs> wake him up, rouse him up, and say, do you not care that we are perishing? And again, this is one of the, the statements, one of the cries of the human heart. God sometimes seems to be asleep or absent or, or unaware of what we're going through. Don't you care, God, that my mom is dying? Don't you care that my marriage seems to be headed toward a shipwreck and I'm not sure what to do? Don't you care that we're trying to have a child and that's not happening? God, if you really did care, you wouldn't allow me, you wouldn't allow us to get swamped by these waves, by this wind. Don't you care, Jesus? November 10th, 1975, a, a Great Lakes freight carrier, uh, known as the SS Edmund Fitzgerald, uh, a giant carrier, uh, got caught in a violent storm on Lake Superior. Uh, it, again, it's a large lake. You know, these conditions can be like an ocean. And, and the boat didn't make it back to the shore and it sank. I was 10 years old, I remember hearing about this in the news, and the entire crew of 29 men were lost. Well, the next year, the singer Gordon Lightfoot wrote the song, The Wreck of Edmund Fitzgerald, and and it's actually one of those songs that if you, you think you don't know it, but if you heard it, most of you would. It's like, oh, that's the song. It tells the story. It's a long, long story with a lot of lyrics. I'm not gonna read them all, but in it Lightfoot sang and sings, The wind and the wires made a tattletale sound, and a wave broke over the railing. And every man knew as the captain did too, 'twas the witch of November come stealing. And then Lightfoot asks a Penetrating question, the one that the disciples were basically asking on the boat, does anyone know where the love of God goes when the waves turn the minutes to hours? That is a brutally honest question. Don't you care? And the answer comes back from Mark's gospel, from the person of Jesus. Yes, he does. You see, Jesus is asleep, yet he's fully in control. He's actually the one who can calm the chaos. And Jesus was with them in their boat, and therefore he's with you through the storms and the experiences and the violent, furious waves of life and death that are thrown at you. Friends, we are not alone. Jesus is not asleep. He's alive at the right hand of the Father, and he cares for you so much. The pastor and president of Wheaton College, Phil Reichen, who himself has gone through challenges of things like depression in his own life, and all the waves that come at somebody who has that kind of job leading a Christian college in this kind of culture that we're in, He has written, in every rough and stormy squall, even to the point of death itself, we must call upon Jesus. And we do when we can. And so when you're struggling to make ends meet and you're having to take out another loan, there's a lot to say about it, but most of all it means go to Him. when your medical condition worsens, Pray to the one who heals according to his timing. When conflict in your relationships or within your own body or your own soul feel like they're breaking upon you, remember 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him. You see, the disciples thought they were going to be cast over the boat into the watery tomb But Peter says, cast all your anxiety overboard. Put it in his hands because he cares for you immensely. So there was a great storm. And then there's great calm. They wake Jesus up and he rebuked the wind. He really spoke two words, if you will. He spoke to the wind and then he said to the waves, peace, be still be quiet. And as John Calvin said, the elements obeyed his very voice, and the wind ceased, and there was great calm. You see, these hurricane-force winds submit to the voice of Jesus. Actually, you know what it's saying is that there was dead calm. It's like a sea of glass Now, kids, think of when you you jump into a pool and you do the whole cannonball thing and that gets going. (laughs) And it's like a wave pool. And when you stop, the sloshing around doesn't instantly cease. But in this case, on a giant body of water, the voice and then calm. The cold winds that I mentioned from the mountains and the warm winds from the sea were no longer... In conflict. There was peace. And you see, friends, as we think about this and realize that this is not just a legend, but that this is actuality, we come up against the reality that no one does this. <laughs> what do they call Jesus in the passage? They wake him up as teacher, but he's way, way beyond an instructor. Sally Lloyd-Jones in the Jesus Storybook, a beautiful rendition and paraphrase of the Bible for kids, but frankly, it's for adults. (laughs) It really is. She wrote, Jesus stood up and spoke to the storm. Hush, he said. And that's all. And the strangest thing happened. The wind and the waves recognized, recognized Jesus' voice, They had heard it before, of course. It was the same voice that made them in the very beginning. And so nature obeyed, and nature, therefore, is teaching us, actually, in the passage. It responds to the voice of Jesus. But then Jesus says to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, we we need to be careful with this because so often we feel beaten up that our faith isn't strong enough. And friends, Jesus is not here to beat us up, to make faith into another kind of work where we have to rely on ourselves once again. No, no, no. Jesus is compassionate all the way through. This is a compassionate challenge. He cares deeply And what he actually is asking them, and this comes out in a translation or two, he's saying, where is your faith? Where is your faith located? You see, we're going to place our faith in something or someone. But Jesus is saying, where is it? Now, what is faith? Well, we could say that faith is the yes of the mind and the heart, a conviction on which We stake our lives. We're saying yes, and we stake our very lives on this truth, on this actuality of who Jesus is. Where is our faith? We're going to place this conviction on something. Even secular people have faith, right? Friends, in the last two years, we've heard so much faith placed in technology and medicine, and we have come to see that those things, though, very helpful are not divine, they're not foolproof, they're not absolute. They can't always rescue us or keep us afloat. My nephrologist said this week, he believes in vaccines, but then he said, I have many patients who are vaccinated who are in the hospital. Medicine can't ultimately save us. Certainly, too, we have seen faith in politicians. Well, they've let us down. Uh, experts don't deserve our absolute reliance. But Jesus asks you in the midst of these failed gods, he says, where is your faith? Students, you who have been baptized today. Uh, you have a lot of um, great things in your lives. You have wonderful parents. You have wonderful siblings, but your faith can't ultimately be in them. You're young and you're healthy, but you can't ultimately rely on youthfulness. (laughs) I can vouch for that. It'll go. (laughs) You got a ways to go, but it's not going to be with you forever. Your reliance must be on Jesus stake your life on him. There's a quote from a biographer of John Calvin that I absolutely love. His name is T.H.L. Parker, and he wrote, the power of faith rests in the ability of its object. That's what Jesus means when he says, where is your faith? It's about him, the the object. The writer goes on to say, the weakest trust is entirely justified its powerful object the weakest trust is entirely justified by its powerful object Jesus is not turning us back on ourselves and self-reliance he's saying where's your faith place it on me put it in me so there's a great storm there's great calm but then interestingly it brings up great fear you see, the disciples were afraid of the storm, but after Jesus calms the wind of the waves with simply his word, we're told they're terrified. They fear with a great fear, with a megaphobia, says the Greek. They're in absolute awe. They're asking themselves, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? You see, in many ways especially as modern people again with with all that's been going on the last few years we can see that our technology our brilliance our medicine our science we can somewhat tame nature but we can't do what Jesus does here no one does this no one but God Psalm 89 who is like you Lord God Almighty you rule Notice the parallels. You rule over the raging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. He rebuked the Red Sea and it dried up. Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves, he stilled the storm. You see, in Mark's gospel, what keeps happening is Jesus is doing things and saying things that only God can do and say. He forgives somebody in Mark 2 and tells them to get up as proof that he has the power of God and the prerogative of God to forgive sins. And he scandalizes all the religious leaders who say only God can do that. And he's saying, yep, you got it, bingo. Only God can do that. You see, he's far more than their teacher or our teacher. He is Lord, friends, of the storm. And so he's asking them, and he's asking us with deep compassion and care. He loves us. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? If you only knew who I really was, you'd know that you're going to be all right as the wind and the waves befall you, as you go and you sit with your doctor, as I did this week, the report was good, but that's not my ultimate hope, because the next one may not be so great. He's saying, I have complete power in the midst of your trials. And so the question for us is, who do we believe that Jesus is? That, that's Mark's whole point of his gospel. Who is he and what does he come to do? You see, somebody has said that functional belief shows itself when we're scared, not when things are going well, but when we're scared out of our wits. And let's be honest, there are moments when we are. It's not what we say when we're sitting at the beach and everything's calm, there is no storm, but it's when there's turbulence. How does Jesus meet us in the middle of our fears? Well, you see, he's saying he has complete power, but I want to return to the question, does he care? Well, yes, the powerful one cares. Perhaps you've seen pictures of Rembrandt's famous Jesus calming the storm. That was actually stolen in the 1990s in quite a heist. They still can't find it, not the point of my illustration here, but you've seen the pictures of it perhaps. And it's powerful. There are these different sailors in the boat. You see the storm raging. There's some light uh, and darkness mixed with the waves that are crashing against the boat. And there are different sailors. You know, they're pulling on the ropes. They're pulling on the sails. One is, uh, it's honest, one is getting sick overboard. And then there's a sailor. It's looking out and the, you know, I've learned this actually, um, and some of you already knew this, but it's the fourth wall. In other words, it's going beyond a flat dimension. And the sailor that's looking out is actually Rembrandt, the face of the painter, looking at you, looking at the viewer and saying, I'm part of this story. I am in the boat. And you as the viewer are being drawn in. You are in the boat with Jesus, too. And Jesus is with you. And he is the Lord of the storm. He is the Lord through the storm. And he cares. I want to return to that question. Jesus, don't you care? Gordon Lightfoot saying when that ship went down and 29 people lost their lives, and there's still, no doubt, families grieving all of these years later. Those scars don't leave, friends. Does anyone know where the love of God goes when the waves turn the minutes to hours? Well, friends, it goes to the cross. You see, God shows his love to those disciples, that group in that possibly 27-foot boat. He shows his love to them, but he gives it to all of his disciples, all of us here 2,000 years later at Jesus' cross. You see, Jesus would give himself to us by dying for us, proving beyond a shadow of the doubt that absolute power, absolute power that can still a violent storm with simply a word, that power cares for you and me. Don't you care that we're, we're perishing? Yes, he does. He cared that we were perishing in the eternal sense. And so what did he do? He, later on, was swept away by the waters of judgment. You know that in Mark, 10, Jesus refers to his impending, his coming cross as a baptism. He was drowned and damned for us. The one who told the seas to be still and they obeyed, he breathed up his last and he was still on the cross. Yet our captain defeated death. The watery tomb that I mentioned earlier from the psalm had no claim on him. It couldn't hold him. It was like a watery ordeal that he went through. And he was proven to be innocent. He was proven to be righteous. He rose and he returned to the Father. And he will return to us, friends, to put death to death, to heal my sickness and yours to calm all the storms of our lives in this this world that's under so much heartache. He will come to bring complete peace within and with others. There's an image in Revelation that may not have made some sense to you, but it ties in perfectly to Mark 4, and it shows up more than once in Revelation. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire, standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name, they held harps given them by God. I used to read that as a kid. Sea of glass, what does that mean? It's saying that when Jesus comes back, all the chaos will be calmed. Now, a sea of glass isn't great news for surfers. Who knows what God is going to... um, (laughs) give us in heaven, but it is saying that that place of death has been quieted, and the disciples who were screaming and yelling in panic, they are pictured in Revelation to be singing with musical instruments and celebrating. And so friends, the Lord is the the Lord of the storm and the Lord of your life. He's not going to let you and me go. No waves can pull us overboard and away from him, and there's no storm that's too big for him, and therefore no storm that's too big for you and for me. I had to remember that this past week. I had to tell myself that, and you do too, this next week. Philippians 4 says, So do not be anxious about anything, But everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what? And the peace of God, the peace which Jesus spoke forth over the storm, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You put your faith in that, in him. You stake your life. On that guardianship you see jesus speaks peace and calm into us like he spoke it over the troubled waters the great 19th century british baptist uh, pastor charles spurgeon faced immense storms in his life god used him but he had so many trials he had all these critics uh that were against his ministry. Pastor Nick and I can be grateful that we don't face that. Uh, He faced a lot of that as the Lord was using him. He suffered with painful gout. Um, I have had that with kidney problems, and it's horrific. Um, No longer medicine deals with it. He didn't have that medicine. They hadn't invented it yet. So he was in agony while he was writing sermons so often and preaching. But worst of all, one day when he was preaching in his congregation at St. Paul's, some of you have seen the church there in London, um, somebody yelled out fire and there was a stampede and seven people died in, in that trampling, And it was awful, obviously, for the families, for the church. And basically Spurgeon was never the same. He suffered with severe depression. Uh, he, He would preach and then sometimes go into a room and cry for days. But this is what he said. He said a few things to his fellow believers. He said, baptize every anxiety into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so make it into a blessing. Make that anxiety into a blessing by baptizing it in the name of your triune God. These young people were baptized today. They can turn their struggles in life into a blessing, and so can we. But I love this even more. Spurgeon said, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. Friends, let's learn to kiss the waves that throw us against the rock of ages. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? He is the Lord of the storm, the Lord of creation, the Lord of our lives. He has absolute power, and he absolutely cares about you and me. Amen. Let's pray. Father, We ask that you would use this word, this true word of an actual account, not a legend, as so many critics would say, but something that really occurred for those disciples. We pray that it would grip us, that we would see that it foreshadowed Jesus going to the cross to be baptized, to be swept away in judgment so that we would be swept into your love forever. We thank you that death could not hold him and no trial in life can take us down ultimately because we belong to you. I pray that our young people that were baptized today would know that, that we would all know it, that you would hold us through the storms, that you would cast away our fears, and that we would be even able to kiss the violent waves and wind because they throw us against you, the rock of ages. We thank you for your absolute power and that you absolutely care for us so that we are yours and you are ours. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.